invite you. I want you to come up front. You don't have to. It's only if you want to. And we're going to pray for this nation. Alright? We're going to pray together. But I want you to listen to this before I call you up. This was from January 31st, 1983. And he said, Heavenly Father, we come again today. We come in the name of Jesus. Not our name. Not our power. Not our holiness. Not even our goodness. But we come in the name of Jesus. Washed in his blood. Robed in his righteousness. We come because you told us to come. You said in your holy word for us to come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain uh, help and grace in the time of need. Thank you, Father. We are exhorted in your word to pray, to intercede, to supplicate, and to give thanks for all who are in authority. That Christians, that believers everywhere may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We pray for our leaders, our president, every member of Congress, the Supreme Court, the president's cabinet, everyone that's in authority. That divine wisdom and grace will be given unto them and direction will be given unto them. We come against the powers of darkness, the forces of evil that would try to dominate and rule in our own nation. We rise up against that darkness. We rise up against those spirits and dispel the darkness in the name of Jesus. We command the devil to take his hand off the political scene of our nation. We pray for every politician everyone that's in office, that they will not be so concerned about politics, that they'll be they'll not be so party conscious, but they'll be concerned about our nation as a whole. And above all, put God first. We come against the powers of darkness, the forces of evil, the demons that would endeavor to dominate the financial scene of our nation. We pray for the economy of our nation. We pray about the we pray that the economy will be turned around and that we will be prosperous and the whole as a nation to continue to carry the gospel around the world. We command the devil and all his cohorts to take his hand on the financial scene of our nation. We come against the powers of darkness, the forces of evil that would endeavor to dominate the domestic scene of our nation. We command you, Satan, and all of your cohorts to take your hand off the domestic scene of our nation. May there be peace. May there be tranquility. May there be understanding from the Atlantic to the Pacific, from the Gulf of Mexico to the Canadian border. We sweep the air clean from demons, powers of evil that will hinder, that will dominate in the name of Jesus. We come against all forces that are wrong. And Father, we pray as best we know how, and we're instructed to do so, we, yet we uh, sense in our spirits that our spirits have not prayed as they would like. We remember that Paul said, by praying in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. My spirit, by the Holy Spirit within me, prays. So the great mighty Spirit of God dwells in us. He is our helper. He is our counselor. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor. He is our standby. And He will help us. So all who would like to come up front right now, and we're going to pray corporately as a body for this nation. And you can pray in tongues, pray in tongues. If you want
speak to your people. Today, I'm setting you in the cleft of the rock, the perfect vantage point for you to see my glory and my goodness as I pass before you. I'm setting you on the wall as my watchmen, those who see, and when the enemy moves against my people, you will sound the alarm. You will raise your voice. You will alert those to what you see so that we can take action. We can commission the angels. We can send forth the mighty warriors from heaven. So take your place and take your position and be sober and be vigilant because your adversary walks about as a worried lion seeking whom he may devour, but he will not devour the righteous. He will not devour my chosen ones, for I am a shield and a buckler to them. I am your defender. I am your protector, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And thank you for taking this time to pray and go before God. Your prayers mean something. Amen. Hallelujah. You may have your seats. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Well, today is Communion Sunday. We uh, transpose today from last week and uh, we're so glad you're here hopefully you have all your communion elements uh, there in the back there if you need them and uh, Pastor Bill is going to come and lead us in communion good morning good morning that we have a mighty God don't we yes see Ephesians 5.1 so therefore, be imitators of God, and copy him and follow his example, as well we all the children imitate their father. And on John 6:51, the Lord says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Shall live forever. And the bread that I have given is my flesh, he says, which I give for the life of the world. See, the Lord's Supper is more much than just a religious tradition. It symbolizes everything that Jesus did for us at Calvary. It says, when you partake of this cup representing the blood, you are remembering that Jesus delivered us from sin. 
So when you eat the bread representing his body, you are acknowledging the physical and spiritual torment Jesus endured for us. He delivers from the spirits of worry, care, fear, sickness, disease of any part of the curse. That includes poverty and lack. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23-25, says the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and says, Take eat, for this is my body that is broken for you. Do as this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. after the same manner he took the cup he suffered it and said this cup is a new testament in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me take a drink Father we thank you for you the ultimate of all things you had a master plan. We thank you for sending Jesus, Father, so we may be like you to live with you. We thank you, Father, for the mighty blood. We praise you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nelson. Decree this with faith in God. Amen. Amen. Let's make our confession. We are committed to following God's pattern of giving and receiving. We are pleased to generously invest in God's work and expect a rich return. God has provided and freely given to us all things for life and godliness. We give in faith and it is returned to us, shaken down, making room for more. We are fully satisfied, overflowing, and running over the top. We shout to and magnify the Lord, favoring His righteous cause. He is pleased that we prosper. We gladly honor the Lord with our capital, substance, and our income. God fills our accounts abundantly, and we overflow with the fullness of God's Spirit. God enables us to get wealth, increase in wealth, and become very wealthy to establish His covenant. We abound in grace. We are fully supplied for every good work. God multiplies what we give, 
and we increase our fruit of righteousness. We are blessed in what God has given us. God makes us rich with no regrets. At Victory, our vision is to reach out beyond our walls the message of salvation, hope, and inheritance, to proclaim the uncompromising Word of God, to build a strong body of believers, and to encourage relationships in a loving atmosphere. We activate God's Word to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. At Victory Christian Fellowship, we are inheriting God's promises and experiencing their benefits. Amen. Hallelujah. And at this time, I would like uh, Nelson and Nadine to come up. Hallelujah. And uh, last week, uh, we said uh, goodbye to Pastor Tony and his family as they headed to Texas on Friday. And uh, Texas is going to be blessed. And uh, today, we are welcoming our new youth pastors, Nelson and Nadine. Amen? And uh, I want to just read uh, just a couple verses. Um, Numbers uh, 27. Hallelujah. And uh, verses uh, 18. This is the story of uh, Joshua. And uh, let's see here. God, uh, that that is because I'm at 28. That's why. It always helps to get the good, right chapter, right? Yeah. So, uh, starting with verse 15, Numbers 27, And Moses spoke unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the fathers, of uh, the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which he may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd, and the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And you shall put some of your honor upon him, and all, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest, and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands upon him, and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to give you a charge. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) 
I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all suffering and doctrine or teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into So I want you to stand up with me. And if some of the young people want to gather around, amen, come on up front. And we're going to pray. I want you to stretch forth your hand in the name of Jesus. Father, we are so grateful and thankful for these servants of God who have faithfully done your work and studied your word and continue to do so. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that a fresh anointing will come upon them, fresh vision, renewed strength in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you would fill them with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of your son, Jesus. Lord, that they can lead the youth, they can inspire the youth, they can teach the youth, Lord. And I just give you thanks and praise for anointing them today in the name of Jesus. And bless them as we set them in this place and in this position. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Someone say praise the Lord. Amen. So this Tuesday, we're going to have our youth group and our fresh new youth pastors will charge out of the gates. And uh, this Wednesday, we're going to have, of course, Wednesday night refreshing. And then this Friday for the ladies is woven at 6 p.m. And uh, I want you to know we're not going to have a Wednesday night refreshing the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. That just gives you some extra time. Now, I've got some important news. Amen. Uh, Everybody say next week. Next week. Anyone who is willing... We want you to come in work clothes and uh, bring a crowbar, bring a hammer, and uh, we're going to start taking apart our stage. All right? Our stage is going to be lowered from the height that it is. It's going to be all one level, and we're going to make some additions to it. But in order to do that, you know, you've got to tear down before you build. Amen? Amen? Amen. So we need all the help that we can get uh, next week. And then after service, um, we're going to start tearing down our stage. And then once we get that done, then we're going to make way for our new carpet. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. And uh, you guys are going to love the the new things that are going to happen in our sanctuary. Uh, It's going to be wonderful and and beautiful. Amen. Amen. For the glory of God. And uh, But we need uh, many hands make light work. Yep. So um, even if you just want to come for moral support to cheer on the workers, that's okay too. Yeah. So uh, next Sunday, uh, just make those plans. And, uh, and uh, I'm, we might need to have some soup and sandwiches or something uh, for that day. <laughs> yeah. So next Sunday is hammer and crowbar day. All right? And we're going to uh, start the process, and uh, 
It's going to be great and wonderful. And, and if there's anyone that knows how to sew, yes, and you have a sewing machine or a surgeon, surgeon, please see me after church. Yes, if you like to sew, please see Pastor Fiona, and uh, praise the Lord. Yeah. All right, any questions about that? All right, we want to get that stage uh, done as quickly as possible, so. Um, we can uh, go on to the next phase. Um, I know that we will have new carpeting in here by January 1st. For sure. Amen. Amen. That's our goal. And uh, I'm very excited about that. And uh, you can also uh, continue to, to give uh, towards that. Because uh, uh, in case uh, anything, you know, with the construction projects, you got to make room for extra things. Yeah. Amen. And uh, once we get the stage open, we're going to remove the baptistry, and uh, we've got to remove the outlets. We've got to bring them lower down, because I think it's about 18 inches off the floor. Anyway, all right. Uh, want you to, I want to give you a, a scripture from Psalm 96 this morning, before we uh, get into our message. Psalm 96, and... Um, there's just 13 verses in this psalm, and it's about worship and praise. And it's talking about, uh, in verse 4 it says, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Let me say, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Do you think our God deserves some great praise? Yeah. Amen. Because He does great things, and... Uh, Verse 6 says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Everybody say strength and beauty. Strength and beauty. Amen. So that's what we're doing. We're we're adding beauty. You know, this carpeting has been wonderful, but it's been here since 1994. So we're adding to that. And uh, then he says, um, in verse 8... He talks, he uses the word ascribe to the Lord glory of his name. And notice what it says in terms of worship. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Amen. Did you know that uh, God doesn't need your offerings, but we need our offerings. And we need to give our offerings to God. And we do that in the form of a tithe. Then we do that in the form of offering. Offering is above and beyond the tithe. Uh, we also give alms and then first fruits. And uh, it is an act of worship. Our giving is an act of worship. And uh, when should I give? Anytime money comes to your hand. Whether someone gives you money, or whether you find money, or whether you get a return on an investment, or whether you earn money from uh, your wage. Alright? It's whenever money comes into your hand, put the Lord first. Amen? Amen. And uh, it shows our trust in Him. And uh, He owns all the gold and the silver anyway. Amen? Amen. I mean, who, what other God would pave His streets with gold? (laughs) And put gates of pearls, right? And have 12 gemstones on a garment that the priests wore. I mean, think about that. Precious stones. 
One for every tribe of Israel, the priest wore on the breastplate. And, I mean, our God is a wonderful God. And uh, as you give, and if you're watching online, you can go to our website and give. A lot of people use that option, and we're grateful for that. You can uh, go on bcfpa.org. You can bring it in. You can send it in. You can do it by the card. However you want to do it, however you're comfortable doing it, I know that God will bless you. You can do it any time during this service. Father, we're so grateful and thankful as we present our gifts and offerings to you, Lord. We just thank you. We count it a privilege to give into your kingdom. Lord, we do it because we love you, and we know that you bless us in return. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, we have some awesome, incredible kids in this place today. Kids who love the Lord and are growing in the knowledge of God. We want to dismiss you and uh, have a good time. Do we have some kids? All right, kids. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. God is so good. Amen. I'm so glad that I know him and he knows me. And we are glad that you're here this morning. You guys are joint heirs with Jesus. What he gets, you get. What he has, you have. What he can do, you can do. Amen. Amen. And if you have your Bibles this morning... I would love for you to turn to the book of James, chapter 3. James, chapter 3. You know, there's a lot of uh, chaos that's going on in the world today. And there's a lot of lies and deception and uh, misrepresentations. You know, the devil has elaborate schemes on high levels to try to deceive anyone who could be deceived because he is a deceiver. That's what he does. Right? And, um, but God has given us wisdom from heaven to counteract all the junk that's taking place in the world. And, uh, you know, God wants us as believers To identify what is real and what is false. What is true and what is not true. So this morning, I believe the Lord wants to help us to differentiate between two types of wisdom. Heaven's wisdom and the world's wisdom. So join with me in the book of James. Chapter 3, starting with verse... 10. He says here, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Take notice of those two words, blessing and cursing. They are opposites. One is positive, one is negative. My brethren, these things ought not to be. We should not be people who have two messages that conflict with one another. Amen? Okay, verse 11. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Why don't you notice those two words, sweet and bitter? They're on opposite.
opposite ends of the spectrum. Okay? Who wants to drink a fountain that's sweet and bitter? I remember one time I was at a Boy Scout camp and all the water tasted like rotten eggs. <laughs> the sinks in the bathroom, the sinks in the kitchen, because they had, I don't know what was happening, but everything was like rotten. It was like a, an increase of sulfur. It was terrible. <laughs> you didn't want to drink the, the water there. Alright, verse 12. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Notice the two opposites. Salt water and fresh. Alright? Then he says in verse 13, Who is wise, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? You know, the Bible is looking for some wise men and women. And people who are wise are ones who follow the Lord and who build their life on his foundation. Remember Matthew 24? A wise man builds on a solid foundation. Right? But a fool builds on the sand. Okay? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. If you're going to be a wise man, you've got to do wise things. Yep. You've got to make wise decisions. Amen? You, got to, you have to apply biblical knowledge to your life. Okay? Verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every good work. Would you say that there is a negative wisdom? There's a wisdom that comes from this earth. There's a wisdom that's devilish. And that is operating in the world today. And I'm going to clearly show you that. But, notice verse 17. But the wisdom. Let me say, but the wisdom. wisdom. Aren't you glad that there's a wisdom that comes from God? But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You know, God is looking for some peacemakers. Not just peacekeepers, but peacemakers. Sometimes you've got to confront to make peace. I didn't get an amen on that, but it's true. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard of a war that leads to peace? That was a confrontation that occurred, but it ended in peace. Alright? So, we're going to learn how to differentiate between these two types of wisdom. This is the, the, the world has a wisdom, and it is direct opposition and contrary to God, but God has a wisdom that overcomes the wisdom of the world. Amen? Matthew Henry said this, He's a commentator. You might think of a commentator as a plain potato. (laughs) Commentator. (laughs) 
verses show the difference between man's pretending to be wise and their being really wise. He who thinks well or he who talks well is not wise in the sense of Scripture. If he does not live and act well, then the wisdom that he claims to have is found to be not true. Those who see true true wisdom may be known to, by the meekness of the spirit and the temper. Those who live in malice, envy, and contention live in confusion and are liable to be provoked and hurried to any evil work. Such wisdom comes down, not down from above, but it springs up from earthly principles, acts on earthly motives, and is intent on serving earthly purposes. And you know, a lot of people have succumbed to the world's wisdom and failed. Cain, Balaam, Korah, even Solomon, who was given the wisdom of God, but in his later years, he allowed his heart to be turned from God and got into idolatry. The Bible says that. The Bible says that his heart was turned from God and God didn't appreciate it. You know, God doesn't like when people turn from Him. Because when you're turning from Him, you're turning to something far worse. So, God's wisdom, it will put you over in the world. The world's wisdom will put you under. Which, do you want to be put over or put under? Come on, are you guys awake this morning? God's wisdom will lead you to victory, and the world's wisdom will bring you to defeat. God's wisdom will bring you ahead, the world's wisdom will put you behind. God's wisdom adds to your life, the world's wisdom will subtract from life. God's wisdom will bring you success, but the world's wisdom will bring you failure. God's wisdom will increase your joy, the world's wisdom will make you sad. God's wisdom blesses you, and the world's wisdom depresses you. Amen? What would you rather be? Blessed or depressed? So go to Psalm 107. Psalm 107, and the last verse, 43. Psalm 107, verse 43. And notice this. He says in Psalm 107, verse 43, Whoso is wise, and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. How many want to understand the loving kindness of the Lord? Well, then you've got to go by His wisdom. Did you know that He gives us the spirit of wisdom? He gives us His wisdom. And the Bible also says that Jesus is our wisdom. Amen? So, let's go back to James, and let's break it down. Come on, Pastor, break it down. (laughs) 
as a rapper from long ago, I know how to break it down. <laughs> so, let's look at these two types of wisdom that the Bible lists here in James. He said that the wisdom that descends not from above, but in its earthly, sensual, and devilish. Okay? He's talking about its worldly. Alright? He the, the world's wisdom involves bitter envy, self-seeking, boasting and lying against the truth. The world's wisdom goes against God's wisdom. The world's wisdom does not participate in God's wisdom. The way of the world is not the way of life. Because it's not the way of truth. Do you realize, do you know what they call movies? They call them make-believe. They do these elaborate sets. They build sets. They build cars to explode them. They build buildings to tear them down. And now it's a lot easier because they use electronic graphics and help, right? Green screens and technological advances. But they make you think something is real when it's not. Every movie, even though it says it might be based on truth, has some element of make-believe to it. What do they call people who star in movies? They call them actors. They pray that they pay they get paid money to pretend to be someone that they're not. Amen? I would call that an elaborate deception. You're using technology. You're using, and you, you, you want to engage the feelings and the emotions of people, right? Believe me, I've, I've cried in movies, especially Old Yeller. <laughs> I cried when Old Yeller died. He was like, what's Old Yeller? Look it up on YouTube. This, this worldly wisdom, it's sensual, it's demonic, it brings confusion. And when it brings confusion and strife, it brings every evil work. In other words, when you're operating according to the world's wisdom, you open yourself up to the way of the enemy. Their standards and their sources are earthly. And they measure success according to worldly terms. Okay? In, in verse 14, James uses the word bitter. This word bitter is the word for pungent. How many have ever smelled something that's pungent? You know, when they spread manure in these fields, it's pungent. It, this word bitter has a stinging effect to it. Its root word means to cut and to prick. And then this word envy. In verse 14 he says, bitter if you have. Everybody say, if you have. If you have. You don't have to have this. 
You can choose not to have this. You can choose to be different from the world. How many know Jesus was different from the world? I mean, when he preached, they, the people who heard him said, this man preaches like authority. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees that are just reciting things. But there's something to what he says. There's life to what he says. There's power to what he says. He can cast up. I mean, the things that Jesus did, people were amazed. Why? Because he wasn't operating according to the world's wisdom. He was operating completely from wisdom from above. When 5,000 men show up for dinner, you're going to have to have wisdom from above. Because worldly wisdom is not going to cut it to feed them. But you need wisdom from above. Amen? Different wisdom. Different, different wisdom, different results. Okay? This word envy, it's really the word for party spirit. It's, it, it can be used negative and positive. It's the word for zeal. How many ever heard of the, of the zealot using the Bible? Zealots were basically assassins. That's kind of what they were. They were enthusiastic and sassy. Alright? This, this word envy, it's, it's a party spirit. It's, it, it promotes jealousy and rivalry and competition between people. Okay? It, it refers to water bubbling over when it boils. Alright? It, it's, it's both negative. So the negative side of, it, of this word is jealousy. The positive side of it is zeal. Alright? It's... You have a passion to embrace or pursue or defend anything. That's what it refers to. But the negative side, it's envious, contentious, it's rivalry, it's jealousy. All things that go against the Spirit of God. Alright? It also promotes self-ambition. Did you know that God is not in the business of us promoting ourselves? Promotion comes from God. Right? You have to be careful in promoting yourself because it could give way to pride. I'm not, I'm not saying don't speak good about yourself. But I'm talking about putting yourself first, putting everything to promote yourself. Amen? How many have heard the term self-proclaimed or self-made millionaire? Do you know that people don't become millionaires by themselves? They have to have people that make the product, right? They have businesses, they, they maybe start companies, but these companies have employees, and, uh, you know, it takes people. When you have self-ambition, you do work merely for hire, kind of like a mercenary. Okay? It's, uh, you're self-seeking. And you seek followers. And any time that we put the spotlight on self, we're taking the spotlight off of God. Yep. Amen? 
Is it good to be self-righteous? No. Only God can make us righteous. I can't make myself righteous. If, if I could do that, Jesus would have never had to come. Matter of fact, that's what the Pharisees did, didn't they? They made themselves the standards of following God's law, but Jesus clearly said that you guys aren't following the law. Or you aren't following the word, right? His greatest group that he spoke against. Okay? So, this word earthly, sensual, it, it's rooted in the flesh and it destroys the moral fiber. Okay? This wisdom that is, descends from the earth, it's earthly. It's uh, natural. You might think of it as animalistic. You know, animals have instincts. They just do things out of instinct. Okay? Now we can look at an animal and say, well, he's thinking about it. No, they just do it out of instinct. Amen? I mean, have you ever watched animals behave? They do some weird things. Right? Because they're just doing it out of instinct. Alright? So, this is, this is a lower level of wisdom. It comes from the earth. It doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from heaven. And then it comes from down up instead of up down. Okay? Then he described this wisdom, secondly, as devilish. Well, that's obvious, isn't it? It's rooted in evil. And the devil delights in it. The devil is happy to get people to go against God. Why? He was the first one to go against God. He wants others to join him. Pride wants the microphone. And fools like a party. I'm, I'm just saying that when they want people to join them in their foolishness. It's demon-like. It's the wisdom of demons. You can think of this world, there's a lot of demonic activity that are influencing people and their actions in the world. I mean, the devil's a schemer. He uses wiles or schemes. He, he, he sets traps. Amen? And we're going to expose him today. It's such as even devils act or have. And then he describes this wisdom of the world, verse 16, it leads to confusion. It produces disorder. It produces chaos. Okay, we're seeing that in our world today. Chaos. Disorder. You know what? That's demonically influenced. That's wisdom of the world. But we have the goods to counteract it. Instead of bringing people together, it drives them apart. It puts a wedge. It puts factions. It, it separates people. That's what the confusing part of this wisdom does. It promotes disturbance. Upheaval, revolution, and anarchy. We're seeing that today. In our world that we're living in. First in the political, and then in the moral. 
This wisdom is unsettled. It can't stand. It's unstable. And notice, and strife, with strife, there's every, there's confusion in every evil work. You know, we have to have a zero tolerance for strife. Amen? Amen. In any way, shape, or form. What is strife? It's contention. It's fighting. It's, it's, you know, arguing about something that matters. It doesn't matter that much. Alright? Now, let's counteract that with some godly wisdom. Okay? Then I'm going to tell you what's operating in the world today. Alright? But the godly wisdom, thank God Thank God for godly wisdom. Aren't you glad that God gave us wisdom? He wrote an entire book about it called Proverbs. All throughout the Bible, God had given his people wisdom. He gave Joshua wisdom on how to take Jericho. He gave Elijah wisdom on how to survive in a famine. He gave Abraham wisdom on how to walk by faith. Amen? All that wisdom came from God. And when they used God's wisdom, they overcame. They, they took what they needed to take. Amen? They, they took ground. They took their land. When they used God's wisdom, when we use God's wisdom, we'll get the victory. When we use God's wisdom, we'll overcome triumph. Amen? God gave us His wisdom. And it counteracts the wisdom of the world. Godly wisdom, it shows up in good conduct. It works in meekness. It's pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. And it's without partiality and hypocrisy. Alright, so number one, the God, God's wisdom is pure. Everybody say pure. Pure. Oh, it comes from a pure source. It's uncontaminated. It doesn't have the world's contamination in it. It hasn't been corrupted. It's pure. Amen? Amen. It's cleansed of all ulterior motives. It's cleansed of self so that it becomes pure enough to see God. What did Matthew 5, 5 say? Or Matthew 5? The pure in heart, what? Shall see God. And really, God's wisdom goes in line with the spiritual fruit of Galatians 5. Pure, peaceable, those are fruits, amen? Okay? To be pure means you're in a condition prepared for worship. To be pure, either ethically or ceremonially, it means to be chaste. It means to be uh, unadulterated. It means pure inside and out. Say, I'm squeaky clean. I'm squeaky clean. Doesn't God's word sanctify? He says, I sanctify you by the truth. My word is truth. He sanctifies us with the word. He can wash us with the word of God. Amen? Amen. God can say one word. He can say two words. Be clean and you're clean. Yep. Isn't that what he did to lepers? He cleansed lepers. What does that mean? He purified them of a disease. And this is the wisdom that comes from above. Okay? This is, I'm getting to the main point. This isn't it. I'm just kind of setting you up here, alright? It's, to be pure means you're without spoilation. You're not spoiled. Who wants to eat spoiled fruit? No. 
Oh, you spoiled your child, spoil your child, but I buy me a, I abundantly bless him. You don't want to spoil something. Spoil is nasty, right? Spoil means you open up a jar in a refrigerator and it needs to be shaved. That's nasty. Right? To be pure means you're not mixed with guilt or anything that can be condemned. Hallelujah. Alright? Then he says this wisdom is peaceable. It produces a right relationship between man and man and God and man. It's peaceable. Right? When someone comes to God, they have peace with God. I remember in the movie Forrest Gump, when his military friend, Lieutenant Dan, Lieutenant Dan, he made his peace with God, right? He finally came to the point where him and God were on the same page. That's what it means, peaceable. Peace means nothing missing, nothing broken. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And it's, it's, it's designed to produce right relationships. It's profitable. It means wholeness. Alright? Then he said this wisdom is gentle. It means you know how to apply the law and you use principles and standards with great gentleness. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly. Come and learn from me. Jesus was not harsh, but he was harsh to religion. He wasn't harsh to people. He was harsh to a religious mindset. Amen? But for the most part, Jesus was gentle. When the woman was caught in adultery and brought to him, did he not exercise gentleness? And he ministered to her, and he set her free. Okay? God's wisdom is gentle. Sometimes people can use the law and it can be fatal. But we've got to use it gently. And that is the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Yep. Gentleness. A soft answer turns away wrath. That's gentleness. You know, gentleness is not weak, it's strong. It can, it can, it can diffuse a hard situation. You can diffuse a hard situation with gentleness. Okay? It, it helps you to know when to stand on your rights or when to stand on God. Do you remember when Paul was put in prison and the next day they were going to bring him out and they said, uh-uh, you're not just going to let me walk out of here. I'm a Roman citizen. Remember that? And, and they're like, oh my goodness, he's a Roman citizen. Roman citizens were guaranteed you had to have a trial before put in prison. They didn't give Paul a trial. So he said, no, you tell the magistrates they got to come down here themselves and bring me out. They were like, oh! But see, he knew when to use his rights and when to not use his rights. Amen? There are times when we have to give up our rights in God's kingdom. Amen? If you want to follow me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Okay? Gentleness is mild, forbearing, reasonable, moderate. A lot of politicians want to be moderate. But it only shows up in their actions. How they vote, what they believe, what they do. 
Oh, I'm a moderate, but I want to kill babies. You're no moderate. Amen? There's no such thing as being moderate when it comes to killing babies. That's evil. That's wicked. That's earthly wisdom. That is not of God. So if someone wants to convince you that they're moderate, moderate, therefore abortion, they're lying. And that's up to us to discern. Amen? This is why I'm telling us this today. We've got to be able to discern these two truths. Then the wisdom of God is willing to yield. It's easy to persuade. It's not weak, but it's pliable. Did you know that God wants to write His law on our hearts? Mm-hmm. And even though He could write on rock, He wants a heart of flesh. He removes the heart of stone and He wants a heart of flesh. Why? A heart that's pliable, that He can shape, that He can form into His image. Amen? Willing to yield. You're not stubborn. How many know someone who's stubborn? Amen? A person who's stubborn is unwilling to listen. That's not willing to yield. Alright? You're not rigid. I used to be a lot more rigid than I am now. Because God sent me help. In the form of Fiona. She's helped chip off the rigid rigidness of me. Then, the wisdom from God is full of mercy. Let me say, full of mercy. It shows pity for suffering unjustly. It's not judgmental or condemning. You know, the Bible says, if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. Amen? And by the way, none of us are qualified to judge the motive of another person. We can judge fruit, but we can't judge motive because we don't know what's in that person's heart. You know when Samuel went to anoint the king? He couldn't tell what was in the heart. All he could look at was the exterior physique of the person. And he thought, this one didn't know, this one no, this one no. Finally, God said, you look at men differently, I look at their heart. Only God can look at a person's heart. So it's full of mercy. How, how often is this mercy new? Every morning. Every morning. When you woke up today, you were offered new mercy. Yep. Fresh from heaven. Glory to God. So you're full of mercy, you're full of kindness, goodwill. And God's wisdom is without partiality. It doesn't favor one above the other. But God does favor faith. Amen? Amen. Without partiality means you're, you're undivided, you're unwaverable, you don't waver. Okay? You don't vacillate. How many know that word, vacillate? Oh, I'm vacillating. Whoa, I'm just vacillating. I'm going here, I'm going there, I'm vacillating. Make up your mind, quit vacillating. <laughs> It, a person who's without partiality, they choose their course and they abide in their direction. They're certain. And then it, it's without hypocrisy. The wisdom of God is honest. It never puts on something that it's not. 
God is not a roundabout God. He's a direct God. God will never lead you in a roundabout way. He will talk to you directly. Yep. Amen? Amen? Okay. So, there is a clear distinction between what happens in the world and what happens in God's kingdom or the spiritual realm. In which the Lord rules and the world is where the devil rules. Right now, the devil is ruling the world. Okay? A life led by Christ is different than a life led by the devil. Don't we know that for sure? Yeah. But here's the good news. As a believer in Christ Jesus, we can influence what happens in this world. Yeah. We can change the world by how we think, by how we act, by how we respond, by how we speak, and how we live for Christ. How many know when we live for Christ, it can make a difference in the world? We can show people how life should be lived, as Jesus showed us. He showed us how life should be lived. We forget that He lived 33 and a half years. But His life was a perfect life. He did not sin. He showed us how to live victoriously. Amen? So we can influence this. Jesus showed us how to overcome the world and change it. He came to save the world. Amen? Amen. His goal is for people everywhere is to not perish. It is not God's will that any should perish. People who perish choose to perish. They choose to operate by the worldly wisdom. Okay? So we need to know what's happening in the world. So, what is in the world? Go with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Okay? And I'm going to give you a list of things that the Bible says are in the world. And I'm going to counteract that with things that are in God. Amen? Are you interested? Yes. You're not sleeping, are you? Nope. Your neighbor's sleeping? Be an alarm clock. Wake him up, wake him up. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, is he saying don't love people in the world? No. Because we know, according to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. There must be something in the world that he loves. He loves the people who were created in his image. And people in the world had, have had their image marred. They don't know who they are. They don't know whose they are. They need to be reconditioned. They need to be recreated. They need to be born again. Okay? He's not saying don't love people. But there are systems in the world. There are uh, things that, how the world operates, how the world functions. That's what he, we should not love. We should not tie into the world's system. We should not think like the world. Oh, I want to be like the world. No, you don't. The world is a dead end. This world is going to pass away. No matter how great you think it is, it's passing away. But God's word will never pass away. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm not saying that. That's Bible. 
Verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father. Say it's not of the Father. Not of the Father. But is of the world. It's of the world's wisdom. It's of the world's system. Okay? There are things that happen in the world that are not of God. Why, why does God kill those people? He doesn't. The devil kills, steals, kills, and destroys. God is not out there harming innocent people. Well, how come God allowed it? He didn't. Man did. The devil was not initially in charge of this world. But he was given charge of this world through sin. Can you say amen? Amen. Okay? Verse 17. And the world passes away. Right there, if you're going to love the world, you're loving something that's passing away. And the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God, what's going to happen to those who do the will of God? They abide forever. I'd rather abide forever. I don't know about you. I'm going to to go with that which abides forever. I'll take abide forever for 500, Alex. Verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and you have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Notice that they went out from us, but they were not of us. You know, there are people in the world that want to claim the name of Christian, but don't live like Christ. It doesn't work. It does not work. It's a lie. It's a deception. Right? If someone's going to claim the name of Christian, then you've got to live like Christ. Because that's actually what it means. Christian means Christ-like. Not just putting on a mask to make you look like Christ. Oh, I'm wearing my Christ mask today. No. When Christ is in you, he, he changes your heart. He changes your entire life. They went out, verse uh, uh, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest. That they were not all of us. Amen? So, what is in the world? I asked this question, and God answered. God loves the people of the world, but he hates the bad things that operate in the world. Number one, in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. But in God, we can look to Jesus, and we can please God. Amen? We don't have to be run by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life. We can make our hearts towards God. We can actually live for God in an evil and wicked generation. Isn't that what Moses, or not Moses, but Noah did? How bad was the earth in Noah's day? It was so bad that God wanted to destroy it. How many righteous people were in the earth in Noah's day? Eight. Noah and his wife, three sons, and three, three of their wives, right? Eight people. And Noah found grace in God's sight. In the midst of an evil and wicked generation, Noah maintained his righteousness with God. 
Noah maintained a relationship with God. God could communicate with him. Noah could hear him. Noah did what God wanted him to do. I want you to build a boat. 450 feet long. That's almost as big as an aircraft carrier. And you're talking eight people only building it. That's why it took 100 years. The unrighteous don't build churches. I would love for a gangster to come in and say, Pastor Doug, I want to pay off this bill. Okay, give me the money, but you better don't change your life, amen? No. Why don't the wicked go out and build churches? Because they're not for God. So, in the world, is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. But in Christ, we can live for God. Amen? Okay? According to 2 John 2, I'm just going to give you the references. We're not going to turn there, though. According to 2 John 2, 7, there are deceivers in the world. There are deceivers in the world. But God also has truth-tellers in the world. He said to people in the world, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Even though, yes, there are deceivers in the world, but there are truth tellers. There are truth doers in the world, too. And the truth doers need to counteract the deceivers. They need to point out the deceivers. I'll never forget when Gabriel was very young, maybe about three. He's like, oh no, he's, he's telling the story about me. Don't worry, he's good. It's good. And he was watching TV. And there was a commercial that came on. And it was really kind of uh, promoting Hinduism. So, and at three years old, Gabriel goes, oh, that's Hindu. He was able to discern what was from God and what wasn't God even at a young age. Why? Because we always, if we had questions, we would tell them the truth. Amen? But he got to that point. I'll never forget one time he was at his grandparents' house and Joyce Meyer was on and he sat in front of the TV like this. He didn't move until she got done. <laughs> he was like focused and fixed on that. Okay, according to 1 John 2, 18, we read it. There are antichrists in the world. What's antichrist? Against Christ. There are those who are contrary to God in this world. But, here's the good news. There are real, the real Christ also came into the world, and he has offspring called Christians. Do you know as a Christian we carry Christ in the world? Because that's the first five letters of our name. Christian. Did you know that we all changed our name to Christian? When you accepted Jesus Christ, you became a Christian. You became Christ-like. He, his nature told you. Your nature was changed. And the nature of God is on the inside of you. Yes, there are antichrists in the world, but there are those who are pro-Christ in the world. Amen? And the pro-Christ is stronger than the antichrist. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that awesome? So, but we have to be able to discern. See, because the enemy 
will not show up wearing a skull and crossbones. He will not show up with a sign saying, I'm the enemy, I want to deceive you today. But he comes in in a subtle way, in a way that we don't expect. He only can do thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. He can't force anybody to do anything, but he can issue a thought, an idea, and a suggestion that will lead you down a path against God. And we, as God's people, have to be able to discern. When someone is speaking, we have to be able to discern, are they telling the truth or are they lying? There is a lot of lying going on in our world today. And we need some truth tellers to rise up and tell the truth. And so one of the things that we can do when we encounter a lie, we can counteract it with the truth. We can also pray, just like we did this morning. Alright? According to 1 John 4.1, there are false prophets in the world. But there are also real prophets in the world. Did you know Ephesians 4, God says He put apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors in the church. Amen? God's got some real prophets who speak the real word of God to oppose the false prophets. How do you tell if a false prophet is false when they say something that doesn't come to pass? False. Right? But there are true prophets. Amen? But see, the enemy will want to distort a message. This was the thing about Korah and Moses. He complained that Moses, his compl- Korah's complaint was that, well, I can hear from God too. We don't need you, Moses. But see, God has a system of order. God never does things down up. He always does things up down. Why? God is a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. When God puts a leader into a place, He's anointed that person for that leadership. Amen? And that's God's chosen person. And if you uh, do what Korah did and come against it, it didn't work out well for Korah. The earth opened up and swallowed Korah. So yes, there are false prophets in the world, but there are also real prophets. In the world, according to 1 John 4, 3, there are spirits that do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. But there are people who have bowed their knee to Jesus and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, Philippians 2, 11. Amen? Amen. We're part of those who have confessed Christ as Lord. So in the world, there are these things happening, but in God's kingdom, see, God set up his kingdom in the earth to overcome and counteract what the devil was trying to do. And we have the victory. We're destined to triumph. We're overcomers. We're more than conquerors. We are victorious. We're victory. Amen? God put you here at this time, living where we're living, so that we can overcome in our sphere of influence, in our home, in our neighborhood, in in 
can overcome by putting God's principles into practice and showing the world how to do things right. And when they see what you do, they'll want to change. Isn't that true? People went out and preached the gospel and cities were changed. Samaria, Ephesus, all kinds of cities were changed from the preaching of the gospel. See, when we preach the gospel, when we introduce God's message into the world, it gives them an opportunity to change their message. And that's why God wants the gospel preached to every creature. And you and I are part of that family business. All of us are supposed to be preachers. Number one, you preach how you live. Number two, if you get an opportunity to share, you share. Number three, you can lay hands on the sick and they recover. All of us are preachers. Amen? We're certainly all ambassadors. All of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? Hallelujah. According to 2 Peter 1.4, there is corruption in the world through lust. We see a lot of corruption. Thank God, the righteousness and justice of God is exposing the corruption. Amen? There's also righteousness in the world. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Even though there is corruption in the world, we don't have to live corruptly. Amen? There may be corruption in the world, but it's not in me. Say there's corruption in the world, but not in me. You're uncorruptible. You're indestructible. Why? You have the seed of the ever-living God in you. We counteract what's in the world. Do you realize... What is keeping the Antichrist from showing up? The church. We are the Antichrist buffer. Right? And once the church is removed from the earth, then the Antichrist will have free access. But right now, he can't access. Yeah, there are little Antichrists in the world, but not the big Antichrist. Amen? And we, we can whoop every one of them. Amen? You have the weapons to defeat every Antichrist. Amen? We have anti-Antichrist anti, anti guns. You know, anti-aircraft? We have anti-Antichrist weaponry. Amen? We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The enemy cannot stand against the Word. The enemy has to do what the Word says. If the Word says, shut up, the enemy has to shut up. If the Word says, go, the enemy has to go. If the Word says, stop, the enemy has to stop. He has to do what the Word says. If, If we tell someone who is possessed, if we say, come out, the devil has to come out. The devil can't stay there, amen? All throughout the Bible, the 70. Oh, Jesus, it was so awesome. The demons were subject to us. Yeah, but don't be so concerned about them. Just know that your name is written in the Lamb Book of Life. But they were so excited that demons were subject to them. They went out. Jesus sent them out. He anointed them. Where did he send them out? He sent them out to the world. Why? He knows the world needs help. So that's why he called you. 
That's why he anointed you. That's why he brought you into the family. Because he knows that you can do something great in this world. Just eradicate any unworthiness out of your mind. The blood of Jesus Christ has made you worthy. Alright, I'm almost done. Verse, according to 1 John 5.19, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. But according to 1 Corinthians 10.26, it may be under his sway, but it won't go. It won't stay that way. That's what I wrote down. The world may be under the devil's sway, but it's not going to stay that way. Right. Amen. Amen? Amen. Why? We're going to go into this world, and we're going to change as many lives as we can in the name of Jesus. Yeah. What happened when Peter was released into the world after being filled with the Holy Ghost? Three thousand people. Changed allegiances from the world to God. In one meeting, one opportunity, one setting, 3,000 destinies were changed. 3,000 hearts were changed. 3,000 people got born again. They, they, all that the world was done in them was undone by one work of God. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And all he did was get up and preach. And they were so convicted. Did you know that the Holy Ghost convicts people of sin, righteousness, and judgment in the world? He convicts them. All we've got to do is present the message through how we live and what we say. And then the Holy Ghost takes our message and he adds the oomph to it. You know what the oomph is? That's the power behind the message. Right? All we've got to do is share our message. Share your testimony. Tell someone what God has done for you. That's all you've got to do. We don't have to convince them. It's the Holy Ghost who convinces them. All we have to do is share. All we have to do is tell. All we have to do is testify. And then God will do the rest. Amen? Say, that's easy. That's easy. All right? That was easy. I just had to do that. Staples. That was easy. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 4, the world has a course directed by the prince of the power of the air that promotes disobedience through lust and desires of the flesh leading to wrath. Okay? But, here's the good news. People can also change their course because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. Just because something is set on a particular course doesn't mean that the course can't be changed. God can change your course. If you're headed for destruction, God can change your course. He can put you in the direction to life. Amen? What am I doing? I'm highlighting two wisdoms. One from above, one from the earth. One from heaven, one from hell. And we, as believers, have been given the tools and the means where we can discern between the two. What spirit, of, what spirit do you have in you? The spirit of truth. 
Did you know that you've got the best truth discerner on the inside of you called the Holy Spirit? He can see a lie from a mile away. He can see it coming. He, he knows it's going to be a lie before they speak. How many has ever been heard something and then something on the inside of you saying, it's like scratching, it's like, that doesn't seem right. You know, I'll never forget, uh, my mom has pretty good discernment and it's not even fully developed as it could be. Uh, but anyway, um, I had uh, one of my roommates, <laughs> okay, when I was in college, I felt like a squirrel because I lived with two nuts. I had two crazy roommates that I wish I didn't have. Um, and anyway, uh, one of my roommates, he was from the Chicago area, and uh, we came home one time uh, together from school, and uh, I don't know if I gave him a ride or he gave me a ride, it doesn't matter, but uh, my mom met him, and, and after he left, she said, there's something not right with that boy. <laughs> Mama knows. Amen? Mama knows. And uh, sure enough, <laughs> I'm not going to go into any detail, but <laughs> yeah. You live with, you felt like a squirrel when you live with two nuts. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes your discernment isn't as um, sharp as it should be. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. All right. According to 1 Corinthians 11.32, there's condemnation in the world. But Jesus said in John 12, 77, I did not come to condemn the world, but I've come to save the world. God can deliver us from condemnation. You know what a condemned building means? It has reached its usefulness. It's no longer useful for what it was designed for. That's what it means to be condemned. Right? You can't live in it. It's, it might crumble. It might fall. You don't know when that's going to happen. It's rendered uh, condemned. It's a condemned building. Right? So Satan would want us to be condemned. As a matter of fact, he condemned us, but God uh, changed our sentence. In other words, God pardoned us through his blood. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We were all sentenced for death. But God changed us and brought us to life. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. All right. Three more. Can you handle three more? Mm-hmm. Oh, give me three more. Five, nine, six, nine, no, just kidding. The closest I ever came to preaching in my family was uh, my grandfather and his brother were pretty good auctioneers. But other than that, God called me and He's, he's writing this book. Um, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, there's suffering in the world. But Romans 8, 17, God gives us relief from our suffering. Because when we suffer through with the way God suffered, we'll share in His glory. I only want to share in His glory. Mm-hmm. There's suffering in the world. But you might be called to relieve some of that suffering. Did you know that you, you, you're called to a group? Or to a person, or to a place. Amen? God called me to Palmyra. Because there were people in Palmyra that needed to inherit God's promises and experience their benefits. And so He brought us here. And uh, I'm so glad that He did. 
Amen? Amen? I'll tell you what, with this information, you're equipped to knock the devil out. Yep. You can knock the devil off of his game. You can disrupt his plan. Yeah. Aren't you glad that you're an anointed devil disruptor? Yeah. That when he tries to do something or tries to say something and it's in your presence, you're like, I don't think so. <laughs> There is no way that I'm going to let that happen. There is no way that I'm going to let that You're going to shut your mouth right now in the name of Jesus. Amen? You have the power. You have the power. Say, I have the power. I have the anointing. Say, I'm equipped. You are. Two more. According to John 7, 7, the world hates Jesus because he testifies of its evil. But, John 16, 38, he said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Did you know that you can, over, you can overcome people that hate you? Yeah. Yep. You can do what you need to do in spite of people hating you, amen? Haters are going to hate. But lovers are going to love. And we have the love of God. So if this is what, these are things that are in the world. They're in the Word. We're seeing it. We're hearing it. It's put on display. I have never, ever seen the level of deception that is taking place in our world today. I mean, it is rampant. And the devil is arrogant. He thinks he can get away with it. He's got another thing coming. Just as he was embarrassed with the resurrection, amen, the devil's going to be continued to be embarrassed until he gets his retirement by the lake of fire. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 6, 1. Did you know that the saints are going to judge the world? That's what it says. The saints will judge the world. And we're going to judge angels. The saints. Read it. Okay, I'm going to read it. 1 Corinthians 6, 1. I don't want you just to believe me. I want you to hear the word. Okay? 1 Corinthians 6.1 Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Say, I'm going to judge the world. That's Bible. Alright? But... In Acts 10.42, the Bible says Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Amen? Now, we're not going to judge the world now. That's that's in our glorified bodies. Because your body right now might interfere with your judgments. (laughs) You know, there's a good time for everything, right? In God. So, for every evil that's in the world... There is a work, a way, and a word from God to counteract it, come against it, and conquer it. For every evil that's in the world, God has a solution. God has an answer. God can answer everything. Amen? So don't get down about the wickedness that's in the world. Rejoice. Because that's an opportunity to see the greatness of God. Amen? 
How were the early church treated when they preached about the resurrection? Did, did the world just say, oh, that's just so wonderful. That's so good. No, they put him in prison and beat him. Paul and Silas were put in jail for getting a, a person who was possessed by an evil spirit free. They didn't rejoice. They said, oh, that's so wonderful. We just love you. <laughs> I want you to be prepared. This is the world that we live in, but we have the goods to overcome the world. Yes, the world may not receive you. The world may not like you. It hated Jesus. The Bible tells us so. If it hates Jesus, it's going to hate you too because you're for Jesus. Don't be like, oh my gosh, the world hates me. Yeah, Pastor Ben told you that it did. The Bible said that it did. So don't get so sick when the world hates you. This is the truth. You don't let their hatred stop you from doing what God's called you to do. You do what God's called you to do. You be who God called you to be. You, you do what God wants you to do. If you don't know what that is, then you've got to seek God and find that out. Mm-hmm. Pray Colossians 1.9 that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing Him, being fruitful with all good work and strength with, with might. Amen. Woo, that was a mouthful. <laughs> Hallelujah. Alright. Are you getting something out of this today? Yeah. yeah. There's two wisdoms in this world. One is right, one is wrong. One is from God, one is from the earth. And it is our job with the Holy Spirit and the Word to discern between the two. Amen? We should operate in the wisdom that comes from above, and we should not participate in the wisdom that comes from the world. The wisdom from the world will always put self first. The wisdom from the world does what feels good. The wisdom of the world has no rhyme or reason to it. But the wisdom from God will last forever. Amen? Amen. And God gave us this wisdom. It's good. It's peaceable. It's pure. It's gentle. It's without hypocrisy. It's without partiality. That's the kind of wisdom that God gave us. It's not devilish. It's not demonic. Amen? It's angelic. So I want you to come up higher today. Now you're responsible. Now you have goods to wage a good warfare. You know, God wants you to wage a good warfare. Right? How do you wage a good warfare? He told Timothy, don't get entangled in the affairs of this world. That's what he said. If you're going to wage a good warfare, you can't be bogged down by the affairs of this world. You've got to walk like you're an overcomer in the world. You've got to speak like you're an overcomer in the world. Right? You've got to have joy like you're an overcomer in the world. Amen? This is what God wants for us. And especially in the times that we're living in. You know? I mean, the devil does elaborate... He does elaborate lies. You know? You can play Gabriel. Go ahead. Talk. Let's stand to our feet this morning. And let's make a fresh commitment to God to be a vessel of honor. That means you're ready for when God needs you. You're 
you're filled with all the good things of God and you're ready to be poured out and filled up and poured out and filled up and poured out and filled up. See, the whole point of a vessel is you become useful for God. He fills you up, but then He pours you out. And He fills you up, and He pours you out. And He fills you up, and He pours you out. Paul said, I was poured out like a drink offering. He was continually giving his life to plant churches and to preach the gospel where, where the gospel had not been preached before. He took risks. He didn't care what happened to his life because he knew where his life was. His life is in Christ Jesus. Your life is in Christ. It's not in this world. And you've got to be really careful when the world offers you something to go against God's will. Because if you go against God's will, if you train them in for what the world's offering, you'll never be happy, you'll never be fulfilled, you'll always be miserable. The only thing that will make you happy is doing what God wants you to do, where He wants you to do it, when He wants you to do it. That's the only thing that brings true joy. Take it from me. I worked 34 jobs before I became a pastor. And I've been a pastor now for over 18 years. I must have found my thing. Amen? I always knew where I was heading. I just didn't know whether it was going to be at times. And I didn't know how that was going to come about. But God did it. Because I stuck with God. I went where He told me to go. And yeah, sometimes it's hard. Leaving what you're familiar with. But it's worth it. Say it's worth it. You'll never regret obeying God. You'll never regret it. So I want to encourage you this morning to obey God. And to be able to discern between these two things. He wouldn't have put it in the Bible if he didn't want us to know about it. And you can read throughout other books in the Bible where it contradicts the world and God. If you love the world, you hate God. He said, uh, we're not, we're in the world, but we're not of it. Amen? So we're going to make a fresh commitment today. Say, Heavenly Father, I am yours. You are mine. You've given me everything. Thank you.
financial plan is better than the world's. God's perspective is better than the world's. And here's one final thought. Since the world didn't give you the joy of the Lord, the world can't take it away. You always have joy from the Lord. And you can activate it in participation wherever you are. You can drive in your car. <laughs> I gotta tell you something funny. Yesterday, <laughs> we went to a place and there was a guy who was listening to someone laugh and he was laughing. And when we walked in, we thought someone else was there, but it was someone on the computer, and then the guy sitting behind the desk, 